Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how's your week been? Well, it's a bit fast one, Bryce. It's been very good, thanks. Lovely weather, um, lots and lots of transfer stuff going on. Um, and of course, on the wider Football Grad Network, we've got Confederation stuff happening. And um, when you get over to Manu, he's already in Russia, which is quite cool. Yeah, very cool indeed, eh? Um, as you said, we've got plenty to talk about transfer season after all. So we're going to have uh, plenty of uh, transfers to talk about. But uh, we'll probably start off um, with our with all of our topics tonight based on where Manu is actually uh, at this very moment. Uh, Manu, where are you? I'm in St. Petersburg. Um, opening game tomorrow, Russia, New Zealand. It's been a very good day today. I got in today, got uh, to go through the nice little uh, FIFA passport control, which me- meant a whole waiting time of 30 seconds. Got uh, got ushered through and then um, fast lane through all the, the picket lines and t- lines at the airport, the security check-ins, and then got into my place, got to the stadium, picked up all my FIFA, fancy FIFA Confederations Cup um media accreditation so yeah things are very good um even really interesting sounding techno song on the, the taxi ride in you know you know you know my love for techno right it's good times yeah. to listen to some good techno as long as it's not scooter or something like no, that it's always scooter. good Little bit no i don't want scooter no <laughs> no it just no, fulfills too many but, german stereotypes when you have scooter i find so you know i'm i'm glad uh I'm glad that it was a good old Russian techno song instead. Well, I, I think uh, with my musical taste, I think we just need to get me- off music altogether. Um, th- let's just um, let's move on and let- let's stick to the football, uh, I believe. So, so Manu, are we likely to see an upset from, uh, well, New Zealand to, to begin with? I don't think so. Um, I, I think no, probably not. If, there, if there is an upset, then Russia in big trouble. And this is something that we really spoke in depth about on the Football Grad podcast. So I don't want to get into too much detail here, but the group stage away, it's set up Russia facing New Zealand, Portugal and Chile and not beating New Zealand in the first game be a, would mean that they're in big trouble. Yeah, I, th- I think so. But um, yeah, let, let's um, obviously stick to a, a more German uh, side of things. Um, and yeah, uh, Germany have Australia in their first game, don't they, on Monday night? Uh, w- what type of squads um, has uh, Joachim Lowe uh, taken with him? Uh, just kind of run a bias. So for anyone who's listening that, that has um, you know managed to avoid any talk about the Confederation Cup. Is it a bit of an experimental side? Is it a young side? I mean, who, who exactly surprised you that was included? Well, I think what surprised... Well, it wasn't really that big of a surprise. I think it's it's interesting the way Joachim Löw managed to put us together a side that excluded eight stars from the normal eight team. 
And it also managed to still even out the young talent that we have between the Confederations Cup squad, but also the U21 squad. And that is, I think that is something important to note because Germany always has taken the U21 tournament quite serious. So ever since the 2009 tournament was won by Manuel Neuer, Özil, and all these kids, right? They formed the backline of the, the team that won the 2014 World Cup. And because of that, they're taking that tournament serious. So you see someone like Serge Knabry, for example, at the U21, rather here in Russia. And he could easily be at this A side, right? But they wanted to even out the talent. So Max Arnold, for example, is another one who could have featured at this Russia side that um, is playing with the U21 instead. And it really goes up and down that list. So um, when you when they announced the squads, they actually announced the squads together. And I think that's a that's a really interesting feature of this this side that they not only managed to exclude the players that usually heavily feature for Germany, but they also still managed to send quite a lot of strong players to the U21 side. So we actually have two well, prospect teams, I guess, is the best way to say it. it. Two tournaments at the same time. That said, I mean, Chris, we talked about this, right? This is still a very strong side that, that Germany has sent to Russia. And when you look at some of these players, that's some real quality there. Oh, there is, and it's a remarkably young squad. And as you mentioned, the, the guys that are even younger that could have made it that have gone into the under-21 side... Take that aside, you know, in goalkeeper, in goal, for instance, you've got um, Testegen. Oh, that's Barcelona's um, keeper, straight in. Then some of the defenders we've got, Ginter's had a, a not too bad a season at Dortmund. Hector's obviously first choice. Hendricks, Kimmich, um, Plattenhardt, I think, is a great addition because he's had a fantastic season at um, Hertha Berlin. Um, and obviously Nicolas Sula now at Bayern Munich. And then the midfield, poof. Wow, I would take a few of those for a full-strength senior squad. Uh, Draxler, um, Stindl, who I've just waxed lyrical on the whole season. I think he's been a fantastic star for Gladbach. Emre Chan, close to my heart as a Liverpool fan. Sane, sorry, Sane was in, wasn't he? But then he's withdrawn. That's a bit mm. of a disappointment for him and for us to be able to watch him. Um, Julian Brandt, who, where's he going to be? Let's see what a tournament he has. Obviously, you've got Rudy and then... Um, Deme from Leipzig, and I am so excited by this forward line. Werner and, and Wagner, they are two hot German strikers at the moment. And I, I can see them both getting a bag full of goals in this group. Yeah, I think so too. And I think they, it's Sandro Wagner was joking. We did a little profile on him on Football Grad. And he was joking before the after the Denmark game that, of course, ended in a 1-1 draw that they came straight off the beach to play together for the first time ever. And I thought they did pretty well, considering that they only had one training session and went straight into this game against Denmark and, and ended in a 1-1 draw. Beautiful goal scored by uh, Joshua Kimmich to make it 1-1. And then, of course, against San Marino. No disrespect to San Marino, but you have to beat them high. But I thought that they actually looked very good. One player that um, you didn't mention, and I like to kind of point out, is Armin Younes, who had a spectacular season with Ajax Amsterdam. And he is, for me, a player that I'm very excited about because I think he's going to probably make the step back to Germany at some point soon. And he is someone that I've been very, um, very excited about because he just has a lot of elements. He's, he's a small player, uh, low center of gravity, has a 
bucket load of tracks. And he now went through that Ajax Amsterdam school, which is, of course, a very highly uh, tactical and technical school. And that was really something that helped him quite a bit. And I think he will feature in this tournament quite heavily. I think it's, it's interesting uh, where his old boss has gone. I think if he'd gone anywhere else apart from Dortmund, who are loaded with top quality, exciting young talent, I feel he may have already signed there. Uh, I think the fact that Bosch has gone to Dortmund has probably done Eunice a bit of a, not disservice, but it's sort of blocked his way to make his move with his old boss, because I think they're just too, too strength and depth in that midfield area. Yeah, where would they put Eunice, right? But I think that the Eunice after this tournament will have plenty of options to decide where he wanted to go. And he said that he wanted to win a championship with Ajax. So, you know, the way Ajax played last season, Ajax are going to be in the Champions League, I believe, as well. He, he, he might very well be served playing another season in the Netherlands before he makes the jump back to Germany. It's, it's a very good school. The club has a very good school and developing players. And this Confederations Cup is going to be very good for him, I think, too, just to play with the big German guys. To Joachim Löw, um, in an interview said he's excited about actually coaching because when he has the big players, they already know what to do. They already finished products and they know how to, to run the positional plays. Everything is already kind of set in their mind. And he said with this squad, it's very exciting for him because he doesn't he has this raw team and all these raw talents and he feels like he can actually coach them in a way. He doesn't have to just put them through the motions. And I think for a coach, he for a very long time was very reluctant about this tournament, but I feel the sense is that the that he's really come to terms with this and is actually really enjoying it. And I guess as a coach, this is, this is a fun way to try and experiment and test on, under under um, competition, but at the same time without having the pressure to actually have to win a tournament. And I mean, uh, Chris, would you expect uh, Germany to uh, to kind of be favourites for this? Do you think they'll be taking it seriously enough, and they and they'll want to win it? So, or do you think there's going to be other sides maybe taking it more seriously, maybe more capped sides, uh, and they're they're going to push for you know, for this title? Well, I wrote the um, introducing Portugal. Um, piece for um, for football grad, we still on the football grad site as part of the confederations work that um, we're doing as a team, uh, and I've put them down as overall favourites, and I do that because they've taken a very very strong squad um, of, full of experience as well as youth, and bearing in mind that they're European champions as well, uh, I think Germany, although they've got a very very good side. I wouldn't put them as favourites as such. I think it's a very experimental, ex- very young side. What I would think we're going to see here is a, is a youthful team full of intent and full of attack and almost the um, RB Leipzig of the Confederations Cup if you like it's full of young uh, raw talent with a very good head coach and who knows what they can do maybe they can go on and win it after all it's a, um, a competitive tournament uh, with a trophy on offer and, and the Germans are excellent when it comes to tournament football so we'll see how they go but Starting as favourites, now I will, um, from my own perspective, I would say that Portugal slightly edge out Germany as favourites. You don't want to win it anyways. There's a curse. If you win the Confederations Cup, you don't end up winning the World Cup the year after. So best to let someone else deal with that. 
<laughs> okay, well, I mean, you'll be you'll be happy maybe to to lose that final then, or uh, if you get that far, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it'll be an exciting time just to see um, you know, who exactly has a bit of a you know a strong um uh, tournament you and really uh flourishes you know, on the big screen especially a lot of these players as we said you may not be normally you know in the side so it's, it's going to be very exciting we see a lot of these players on regular basis but this could be a step up in the experience that they may need to, to drive them forward i suppose um manu is, is there any uh, particular game um especially if it includes germany that you're looking forward to um uh, just before we uh, move on yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Chile on Sunday. That's going to be, I mean, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game as well. Or the game, I guess, when the pond is out, it will be already passed. But the opening game between Russia and the uh, Russia and New Zealand. But the game that I'm looking forward to in particular, which is I'm going to cover, is the Cameroon-Chile game. Because I've this is the first time in a long time that I see the Cameroon squad and I don't literally know nothing about them. Um, I did the preview. I had to do a lot of research for it. And Chile has been a side that I have now followed a bit more closely over the last two um, Copa America titles. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that game. And then, of course, you know, once we get to the knockout stage, that's that's always fascinating, isn't it? And I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I just seen that 22nd of uh, June, the Thursday, in the Kazan Arena, you've got Germany versus Chile. That should be a great game, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be a cracker. And I think anyone who wants to pick out one particular game, um, that would be one. We are accredited for it, but we are sort of waiting um, for you know whether we can actually make it because distances are quite far. And there's only two of us at the in, in Russia at the moment. And while we have the media ticket for it, we're not sure whether we can, um, you know, do it logistically. So fingers crossed, we're actually at that game as well. Yeah, wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, no doubt, um, guys, uh, head over to uh, Football Grad Life uh, on Twitter or, or the website and you'll be able to see uh, Manu uh, and the other guys uh, firing out articles, covering it in extensively and yeah it could be a very interesting and uh, maybe quite exciting uh tournament actually so yeah definitely check it out but yes we're going to go back to the uh, bundesliga sites now and uh, we're going to talk about a, a bit of transfer news i, I feel we're going to be talking quite a lot about transfer news actually um, not just in this part but in the next few weeks and Bayern munich have been busy uh manu you you've Covered this even with an article, haven't you? That they've signed someone from uh, Olympic Leon. What, what can you tell us about this signing? I mean, it seemed to almost come a, a little bit out of the blue. I feel. Would you agree? Yeah, but I mean, there was some rumblings about it, but um, I guess everyone focused on Alexis Sanchez. We did as well, and the potential move there. And I can say that Alexis Sanchez was very much on the radar. I don't say want to say that deal is dead, but Bayern seem to. Susie's probably going to be applauding here, right? Um, come to their financial <laughs> senses and figured that they need to go young instead of buying finished products. And quarantine Toliso, from the research I've done, from the people I've spoken to, the article that I wrote is largely focused on a conversation I have with a Sofort. French software journalist called Adrian Kandau, who was kind enough to speak to me about this, um, kind of owed me a favor because I helped him with uh, an article on, on, uh, Tarek Grosny. So 
I called him a favor on that one, and uh, he's he spoke to me extensively because he covers League All uh, quite heavily, and um, it's it sounds like they really landed a quite a fascinating player. Was a very very good aside from my from the article I wrote, of course. But there was also a really good article today in the Süddeutsche. So if you're a German listener, I can highly suggest it to read that because it's the Süddeutsche the way they do it. They do long reads and they are able to tell the story and the interweave between between the talent and the abilities, but also the background. And um, Toliso is a midfielder, a central midfielder who can essentially play any role in the back line, but also a midfield. And he's a very dangerous player um, in terms of getting goals as well. And he's quite a character. Uh, he's he's going to bring something to the dressing room that Bayern will need as, you know, more and more star players are breaking away. They need to need to have something that just gives them character depth. And I think he can do this. Now, I'm very excited to see him. He's, he's still young, um, 22. They paid 41.5 million euros, which makes him the most expensive signing in the Bundesliga. And I mean, Chris, that seems like peanuts in comparison to what the other leagues are spending. But in Germany, that is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. And he's had a good season, hasn't he? I, I, I'm not an avid watcher of, um, of League 1. So, um, I've only seen um, his impact that he's had throughout the competitions that I've seen. It's obviously the um, Europa League where they went uh, quite far in in the end. But um, yeah, it's whether he can make that step up, isn't it? I noticed that in the article, Adrian says he doesn't know if he's mature enough to go straight away into the Bayern um, starting lineup, or whether he's going to have to just observe the league from uh, from either from the bench or from in substitution introductions early on to bring himself up to speed and. Um, I think we've seen with Renato Sanchez, and you mentioned it in your article, Manu, that sometimes players from abroad find it a little difficult to come in and make that step up, especially if they're playing somewhere like Bayern Munich. I think if they're going to go into one of the other uh, mid-table Bundesliga teams, they may get a little bit more time to to make that step up. But if you're going straight into either uh, Bayern Munich or um, Dortmund or now Leipzig or Hoffenheim, you're being asked to make that step up immediately. So whether he can do that or, or not is... Is a matter, and we'll all watch on avidly next season to hopefully see if he can make that transition. But it certainly um, makes a lot more financial sense if we're going to look at just the pure money side of the deal. Um, yeah, forty million euros plus bonuses. It is quite expensive for uh, a German transfer, but it's nowhere near in the region of what Alexis Sanchez would have cost, which would have been you know one hundred and fifty, seventy, eighty, ninety million euros, uh, which I think is. Although he's a good player, I think for his age, probably a little ridiculous for Bayern, who who have the money. They do have that money there, and we've talked a lot on previous pods that you know Bayern are massively cash rich. Uh, cash rich. They just have to go to the bank and draw the money out. They don't need to go to any um, sugar daddy or oligarch or you know Arabian prince. They've just got the money there in the bank, ready to go. So I think financially it makes a lot of sense, and also. Uh, it's, I think it's where Bayern need to go. You look around their nearest rival, Dortmund, Leipzig, Hoffenheim, all strengthening with youth players or they've got a core of youth team. Bayern's a little bit opposite. 
I would have seen that the signing of Alexis Sanchez, who's a little older, would have put it on the sign of, of another ageing team, which I think they need to get away on. And something that Susie was a little critical of when she was on, saying that um, Ancelotti needs to be able to develop more youth talent. Well, this is certainly the road that she'll be glad, I think, they're going down on by signing a talented player who's also got youth on his side. The question for me, though, is can Ancelotti actually do it? And I think this is something that we've kind of danced around this issue for quite some time now. But can Ancelotti actually develop players like that? He had never really had to do it. At Chelsea, they just bought everyone they needed, right? One, two, three, you weren't up the tree, you were bought. Same with Real Madrid. Now at Bayern, he, I think he may have stepped in thinking, well, I'm just going to do what I did at AC Milan and uh, Real and then in Chelsea and, you know, I'll just get them to buy Finnish players. And it's not like that in Germany. Even at Bayern, it's not really like that, isn't it? So I think that Alexis Chances is very much an Ancelotti, Ancelotti signing and something that he's pushing. But instead, this, they signed Serge Gnabry, you know, 21. Niklas Süle, I believe he's 20, right? Sebastian Rudy, okay, he's a bit older, but, you know, still a player that will need to, to be developed in one way or another. And then they signed Tolisso. That's not players that Ancelotti usually is used to signing, but Bayern always traditionally has signed players like that and then formed him into world stars. The, the question really I'm asking is, can Ancelotti do this? And I have my doubts. I really do. It's well, going to be, be a different step turn for him, isn't it? Because, you know, as you quite rightly said, he's gone into teams maybe that aren't the finished article, but they've certainly got world-class uh, players there, and he almost just has to manoeuvre them into the right area um, and, and coach them the way he wants to play the football. He knows they're capable to do it. How is he going to... How's he going to rise to that challenge with plays he's got to bring on and develop to the level that he wants to coach at? This is why it's going to be exceptionally interesting next season for Bayern, especially you've got the likes of um, Nagelsmann, uh, who who uh, are renowned now for doing this at such a young age himself. He He's able to bring on youth with him. Maybe he's on the same level. He can talk the same. It's what's Ancelotti going to be able to do to bring these guys up to the next level. Well, surely the question isn't just uh, whether he can do it. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure, sure it is. But the question then that that would reach out to is how long is Ancelotti planning to stay there? I mean, if he plans to do one more year, maybe two more years, he mightn't be that bothered. He might be like, oh, well, I'm out of here in a year or two. I don't care as long as I win, then I'm off. You know, where if there was another manager, I feel that came in, the likes of maybe Tuchel, the next club he goes to, He'll be maybe thinking this is a long-term project and that 18-year-old I've got on the bench, I'm looking to make something special out of, if, if you know what I mean. Would you agree with that? And <laughs> how long do you see him staying at this uh, project, as people would call it? Well, Bryce, you just opened the whole can of worms because, you know, I wonder, could that be the job that Tuchel is waiting for? Um, Take a year out and then get it then, maybe. Not saying it is, but, you know, if he is, um, he, he's turned away. I mean, we, we spoke Manu the other day, didn't we, that you know, mm. Southampton seemed to be chasing him, and we thought, well, it's maybe mm. they're not in the Champions League, but the Premier League does offer an awful lot of money, and with that, sometimes it can turn heads, right? And Southampton, 
maybe slightly have an attitude about them that seems to suit Tuchel in the way that they bring players through youth um, and they, they do the best of what they can. And really, they're, they're a bit of a selling club, unfortunately, for Southampton. But um, Ancelotti and Bayern, it kind of fits quite well, I always think. And Real Madrid and Ancelotti fits quite well. You can come in, you can do two or three years, work with the superstars, and off you go. If you know what I mean. But so, Tuchel's big issue was that he didn't want to pass on players. He didn't want to develop players. He thought he came to Dortmund thinking he's going to be playing for Champions League titles, big titles right away, right? And then that didn't happen. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is slightly wearing off the topic that we kind of were thinking about early on. But um, a story that's just popped up on my phone here is suggesting that Antoni Conte could be stepping down over the fight that he's having with uh, Diego Costa and that Thomas Tuchel is rumored to be his replacement. Now, that just literally popped up on my phone. But uh, that is the kind of club I think he would be going to. I'm not saying this rumor is true. But that, I think, is where he's going to. And this is no disrespect to Southampton. It's a lower version of Borussia Dortmund, that, a club that develops players and that does it really well. Southampton is a model club for me in the Premier League. But I don't think they're the club that could attract him. And I think that if someone like Chelsea or possibly Bayern, and I think that is actually something that's quite possible that he could go to Bayern, would knock, he would go there because he's, I think he's very much uh, geared towards uh, winning titles. Yeah, very much so. He's, he's bound to have that drive in him to win titles. And he, he probably was a little bit sick of maybe being at a club that were willing to sell on players. But I suppose to, to get back to uh, the point I was trying to make is uh, I, I will go to Chris for this uh, opinion as well. Uh, we were saying about whether Ancelotti can do it. Can he, can he make um, you know promising young players into superstars? Uh, but then it leads to the question, how long is he going to stay and whether he's that bothered about a long-term project? Uh, what, what's your opinion? I've thought it for a while. Uh, I think this will be Ancelotti's last season at Bayern, um, and whether he stays the whole season uh, is still up for question for me. Uh, I think if he gets off to a difficult start, um, or or maybe there's more pertinent challenges in the league than we thought, uh, I and it doesn't start to go his way, and he doesn't have the likes of Lam and Alonso to call on and the ever-aging Ribery and Robin, I think he could be in uncomfortable territory as we look to come to the end of the first part of the season. Um, if he survives that, I think this will definitely be his last season. 2017-2018 will definitely be his last season and Bayern Munich will look to a, a manager with a different outlook to develop a younger squad um, because they're going to have to replace Robin and they're going to have to replace Ribéry uh, and uh, at some point they're going to need to look at bringing someone in who can start to push uh, Lewandowski for his place and that's going to take a different type of manager than what Ancelotti is I think as we've said you know, the three of us now Ancelotti is a guy who if you want him to win the league he will come into your established squad and he will win you the league I, I think that's been done now at Bayern I think he's done that uh, I think now it's the next step above and I don't know not that he's not equal to it because he's a fantastic manager I just don't think that's his his style of management he is a a taker of champions and a maker of champions he doesn't take 
youth and and bring them up. So I will say this will be his last season. Interesting. We'll just have to see if uh, then there is a manager that comes along, uh, maybe a bit younger, wants uh, a long-term project, and then we'll we'll try and uh, you know take these young players on, I suppose. But um, uh, another st- a player that was uh, linked with uh, Bayern Munich is uh, Kramerich of uh, Hoffenheim. Uh, Manu, what's uh, the likelihood of this happening, and so why why Kramerich uh, of of all people? Is this um, you know? just to strengthen the squads, or do, do they see a real potential in him as well, maybe? Uh, so this, maybe to put this in story into perspective, did some digging here, originates in Croatia, uh, Sport Novosti, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but the way they word it is that Bayern wants to buy him this season and loan him back to Hoffenheim. Now that part doesn't make any sense, because Bayern do need a backup uh, desperately for Robert Lewandowski. This is something that we've discussed many times in this part, that when Lewandowski goes out with an injury, it becomes dire, doesn't it? And they need someone to come in and can score goals and sort of do the backup. Now, Kramaric maybe fall into that kind of category. I'm still convinced that something big is going to happen at Bayern this summer. And the reason I'm saying that is because Douglas Costa is on his way out and he's on his way out for a significant amount of money, the kind of money that we expected to see if they maybe sell someone like Jerome Boateng. But, you know, Juventus Turin have come to personal terms with Douglas Costa. We know Douglas Costa didn't really quite fulfill the promises that he early on delivered. And Bayern are now getting money um, for him in the region of 50 million euros, which is 20 million euros more than what they paid originally to get him from Shakhtar Donetsk. So I think that may open the door for something big to happen. No disrespect to Andre Kamaric. I can't see that one going through at this point, especially because they need someone, they need a splash. Um, I think they do. I'm not saying it needs to be Alexis Sanchez that that is still someone that they're connected with all the time, but I'm not sure that they need to spend 180 million on a 20 year old. But you know, getting 50 million for Douglas Costa would open the door to bring in someone else and another attacking player, a younger attacking player, someone like. And I'm not saying it is going to be Romelu Lukaku, but someone like Romelu Lukaku, and that's really the the kind of category that Bayern need to think and. It needs it needs to be a young player, don't you think so, Chris? Just to fit into the players that they're bringing in right now. Yeah, I don't think um, Kramerich is the answer, and that's not to say uh, that's not a slight on him. Obviously, played um, 34 games in the Bundesliga last season for uh, Hoffenheim, scoring 15 times and chipping in with eight assists. So he has got the quality that you need in the league. I just don't think he's at the level, like you quite rightly said, that. Bayern were looking at at the moment and I wrote an article for Football Stat about a week, 10 days ago when it started to surface that uh, Bayern was slightly interested in Lukaku and I will still stand by that that he's a very good fit for them so in the article I took a look at what he would offer um, how at the moment uh, Bayern and Everton play a similar system but they would may have to change it to look to a 3-5-2 and how would that affect with Ancelotti and is that a look to the future if he was to come in and they were to play that? So there's a lot of different variables in that, but I think Romelu Lukaku would be an 
excellent fit at Bayern Munich. And Money, you're quite right. That is the that is the type of name that they need to be associated with if they're looking to bring in not an understudy to Lewandowski, but someone who can who can step into the breach. My only um, questionable doubt that is if they aren't going to change the formation to accommodate two strikers is whether Lukaku would be happy and willing to sit on the bench at Bayern Munich when he would be starting choice striker at many a team across Europe yeah they, they would have to change formations for that and for that to happen they would have to bring in a different coach so it's a happy merry-go-round isn't it yeah, that's how I suppose Lukaku could end up uh, possibly with Tuchel at Chelsea. Eh? We'll have to see if either of those deals happen as well. Um, I, I mean, speaking of uh, Kramerich, I mean, he, he, I think we all agree that he's had a, a great season for Hoffenheim and he, he's a, a valuable player for them. But I suppose when we looked at Lewandowski, didn't make the... Uh, it was a Real Madrid first leg, wasn't it? And... It just looked like Byron didn't have an outlet um, up front. And you just feel that as much as uh, Kramerich is going to be great uh, in the Bundesliga forward, likes it at Hoffenheim, when you go to that next level and you need a man to take on you know, Sergio Ramos and lead the attack against Real Madrid, it's maybe a step too far for him, isn't it? You, you can see him maybe not being able to reach those heights. But... Um, what about we we talk about youth? We talk about players coming in. I'm going to throw it out there. Sell Douglas Costa. They've they've got cash, as Chris said. What about Mbappe? You know, we think he's being pushed around. You know, linked with every bloody club that has money. Um, surely there's a guy that, if he got to a big club like Bayern Munich, you know, sit on the bench a little bit, come on, be an impact sub towards the start. You know, surely that's a better fit, isn't it? Even if it's you're really going to have to fork out for it. I mean, what what would you think of that kind of signing? Yeah, um, I think that would repair the fact that they missed that they they ended up signing Guts instead of Neymar back in 2013 when they had the chance to land a big up and coming international star. They instead went and. Um, Rob Borussia Dortmund of their up-and-coming star, despite the fact that the player didn't fit the system. Now, Mbappe is a typical second striker, isn't he? In a lot of ways, he has shown that playing together with Falcao, that he can play with a striker like Lewandowski. So that would make a lot of sense. I think for a player like Mbappe, Bayern would be willing to spend the $180 million that would it cost to bring him in. Now, there's a high competition here, right? Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid. That seems to be his dream club. Um, I'm actually surprised this is the first time this link has been made by anyone, Bryce. You're a little bit of a genius here. <laughs> because it, yeah, it is actually... rumors left, right, and center here. Well, it's not a rumor. It's just, it's you know, I haven't heard any of it. An it's idea. surprising. It's, it's an idea, and it's something that is... It's, it's surprising that no one else has come up with that yet because it would make sense. Well, Lothar Mateus said it back in May, didn't he? He said that um, Bayern will sign one or more of Monaco's star players for next season. Um, and it was touted that Mbappe was likely to be list the top of the list of their targets. So um, whilst it's not being muted by the club themselves, there's definitely been people associated with the club around there. Um, and by all accounts, Bayern are watching him. Um, and not just him, they've watched many um, a, t- a player from that Monaco side, so so why not? I just fear that 
not that Bayern won't pay the price. I just think, like with with the Sanchez um, deal, there comes that upper limit where they go. Do you know what? That is just actually too much money for us. Now, the only thing which may counter that is his age um, versus obviously Sanchez's age, because it all of a sudden that becomes a hundred and eighty million over eight nine ten seasons rather than four or five so if you take it like that you're looking at maybe you know, 18 19 million a season if it is the complete top end of, of his valuation that monaco have put on him so it depends and it also then there are they going to be in a bidding war and are they ready for a bidding war with some of the other big cash rich clubs around europe i think that would appease a lot of people um, I think it would show that Bayern is going in the right direction, but once again, it's another young player, and we're back to that. Can Ancelotti develop that young player? He's 18. Um, the, new, the new assistant coach for Bayern is Willy Sagnol, of course, a club's legend, French, French winger who played for Bayern for a very long time. And shortly after that, they signed Toliso, quarantine Toliso, who came out of nowhere too. It's a deal that would make sense. I've been looking around a little bit. There has been rumors linking Mbappe to Bayern as late as June 6th. So that's only 10 days ago. And um, seems to be mostly scared Arsenal fans thinking that they actually have a chance landing this guy. I think a player like Kylian Mbappe will go to a team like Bayern, Real Madrid, or perhaps Barcelona, although he seems to be very keen on Real, doesn't he? But then there's the very strong French connection at Bayern. We have Frank Ribéry there, uh, who's, who was signed under similar circumstances uh, from Olympique Marseille. So why not? And I think that would make sense. And that'd be the kind of splash. I think that a splash in a transfer market, that would be a sensible splash. And it would probably cost them about the same than Sanchez at the end of the day. So it, it would make sense. I think... Maybe quickly to wrap this up, when Bayern last won the Champions League, they had Mario Mandzukic and Mario Gomez as the two strikers. And Mario Mandzukic was available for the first leg in Barcelona that they won 4-0, I believe. And then he was available, he wasn't available for the second leg and Mario Gomez played. And I think Mandzukic scored two goals in the first leg and Gomez scored three in the second leg. That was a much better side than the side today for that kind of the, the ability to throw in a second striker was just as good as the first one or vice versa. And they don't have that right now and they need it. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see what happens. But um, yeah, it could be an uh, interesting uh, summer uh, if Douglas Costa does go and uh Bayern Munich decide to splash the cash once again. Um, though, uh, speaking of players being linked to Real Madrid, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Pierre Emerick uh, Aubameyang now. Um, I mean, not not like Real Madrid of recent times, but obviously in the past. Um, I mean, he's been linked to two sides uh, recently, hasn't he? Uh, Chris in PSG and 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 one of the these uh, big investing uh, splash the cash Chinese sides. Uh, but it seems like the deals have fallen through here and uh, he may be staying after all or or do you think that that still won't be the case and someone will pick him up? Well, it's looking like the PSG link was a bit of a tenuous one 
um, and maybe wasn't as solid as we were led to believe in parts of the German press. I can't see him going to China. Um, he's just won the um, cannon. Um, he's a top, top-notch striker. His um, his goal against Werder Bremen on the last match day, you know, typified that the ball fell over his shoulder and he hit it first time in his top corner. That's the type of striker he is. He's a, a guaranteed goal getter and we remember he scored 31 league goals this season and he he wasn't sure of his criticism from us on this pod and from also other aspects of the football press he could have probably scored six or seven more Um, and had had he been in a little bit of vein better vein of form around the turn of the year I think he probably could have hit 40 goals this season that's how good he was Um, I would be exceptionally surprised if he found his way to um, to China uh, I, I don't think it's going to be good for him at all to be honest um, I think he'd be much better off staying uh, at Dortmund uh, I say that as, as a bit of a Dortmund fan and I say it because we want him to stay in the league and we've said it before we want to see the very best players in the league week in week out I think with Bosch arriving at Dortmund he's got all the ingredients there to be playing in a really, really good side next year. The Hoods arrived, and Top Racks arrived to shore up the backside. Um, I just think they've they've got all the ingredients. We've spoken about it at great length um, for them to be really good. So I, I, Amanda, you said it not long ago. If he doesn't move by the first of July, we don't think he'll move at all because that doesn't leave Dortmund enough time to replace that quality and plug that. You know, thirty-plus goal hole that will be left. I can't see him going anywhere. That's probably my heart rule in my head on that, Bryce. But um, don't be surprised if he's at Dortmund next season or this season coming to start. Or will they end up at Bayern? No, not at all. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think so. I think uh, the sport build had a bit of a stinker here, and came up with a story that probably never was one and um, rode Aubameyang to PSG and then had to massively backpedal. And the China one, the Chinese market is is very uh, difficult to follow because they have middlemen and agents that pretend or think that they're representing club A, B and C and they come and they throw these big offers at players. Um, I remember when I covered covered the Hulk to China, who was playing here in St. Peter, we used to play here in St. Petersburg for Zenit, right? I covered that story quite closely when he finally moved to China. And Alex Tajera, of course, from Shakhtar Donetsk to China as well, a player that was closely linked to Liverpool. And there's so many Chinese agents that just come and they come to the training grounds and they talk to these players, oh, our club, they offer you this amount of money and We'll pay you this much money and we'll give you this and we'll give you a house. We'll give you five Ferraris, etc. And then the clubs that they are part of don't often don't even know that these agents are representing them. So it's a bit of a lack of transparency uh, from Chinese clubs, which makes it very difficult to, to keep a track on whether these transfer rumors are right or not. These players do get approached. We just don't know if the people that approach these players are actually the player, player people from the club. Now, another thing is that the Chinese Super League has introduced a new rule. So for every every million invested above 5.9 million in a new player, they have to invest that same amount of money again into Chinese youth development. So let's say they buy 
Aubameyang for 90 million euros. They would have to invest another 90 million euros into the Chinese youth system. So that transfer will all of a sudden cost 180. That throw in the 100 million euros that they would have to spend on his four-year salary, that's a 290 million euro transfer. That's a lot of money even for um, a Chinese club that seems to have a lot of money. So I think this is simply not happening. And that's why they said no. Modeste is a player that has been often approached by Chinese agents and he's now phoned Schmatke and said, look, we need to talk. But this is, again, Schmatke seems to be very um, unworried about it because he said that, well, we know how Chinese clubs operate and we don't actually have gotten an offer yet. And that makes it really difficult to follow this. And the players, of course, they get these numbers put in their head, right? I think Aubameyang is dreaming of earning that kind of money. The reality is the market is not the market isn't there for him because he is as complete as a striker he is. He doesn't fit into a lot of tactical setups. He doesn't fit in Chelsea. He doesn't fit at Real. He doesn't fit at Barcelona. So really, where is the market for him, right? The the way Dortmund is set up makes him a 31-goal scorer. But would he be that kind of scorer somewhere else? I personally have my doubts. Okay, so it looks like uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is, is going to stay, possibly, uh, at Borussia Dortmund. But, um, yeah, I suppose the summer is, um, and the transfer window is still a long way away from uh, shutting. Um, if Modeska wasn't to go to China, uh, Manu, do you see him going anywhere else? Um, or do you, do you see that being the only suitor? Is, is anyone else actually interested at the moment? I can only see him go to China. and. I had an interesting conversation with a fellow journalist of mine, and I, I, I tended to agree with him. Köln get the kind of money that it's offered right now. They should probably sell him because how high is the chance that he'll get another season like the one he has now? And then they can go young. John Cordoba from from Mainz is a player that I would like to see in Köln. But I guess we all saw the story today with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving. Um, I don't know what, what's going to happen to him, so that could change the, the story of what we're talking about significantly. I don't think he's going to end up at Cologne. No, but he could end up... <laughs> well, he, there is jail, but there could also be China <laughs> and the United States. <laughs> but he's apparently leaving Real, and all of a sudden Real will be looking into bringing in a new strikers. Uh, I don't think they will be going for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but that could change the story quite significantly, couldn't it? Yeah, they're saying, aren't they, that um, Cristiano Ronaldo has said that uh, the situation is irreversible. I would say it's irreversible until they offer him a bigger contract, probably. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about um, RB Leipzig. Um, Chris, they've been pretty busy in the transfer window. They've been acting like German sides do and uh, getting their business done early doors. Um, who exactly have they brought in uh, and how much do you rate the players? Well, they've brought in um, Bruma from Galatasaray, who um, Manu wrote an article on, um, so read that, it's very good. Um, and they've brought in a guy from um, Chasseau, which who I have absolutely no idea on, so you'll have to pass me on that, I'm afraid, Bryce. Uh, but what I do know is that Leipzig don't bring in Dross. Um, they're renowned for bringing in exceptional um, youth talent and exceptional talent for them then to be developed onwards. Um 
What I have been glad to see is so far no one has left Leipzig. They very much seem to be shoring up a squad that's capable of challenging for next season's Champions League, for next season's Pokal and for the Bundesliga. So they, as we, as we suspected, they are looking at building a squad that can challenge on all three fronts. Um, they're not looking to sell their best 11 players getting a little bit long in the tooth now having to say it time and time again especially <laughs> in England um, you know, RB Leipzig are not a selling club they've got massive ambitions grand ambitions if you want to call it that they specifically have targeted the Champions League as a trophy they want to win they specifically said that they will win the Pokal and the Bundesliga well you don't do that by selling your best players as in Forsberg Keita or Werner so I'm glad that all that talk now seems to be off the radar. Um, I had a little bit of chat with um, a colleague of mine who said, oh, well, you know, clubs never say our best players are for sale. Well, no, they don't, but they were exceptionally adamant. And the feeling when we were over in Leipzig, Manu, wasn't it, is that these guys are going nowhere. Um, and I think we're seeing that now. We're just seeing that, that very good squad be added to because Leipzig are looking to make that next step. They... They've run out of steam a little bit towards the back end of last season and they don't want that to happen again. So bringing in you know, more youth players and, and keeping hold of their established players is, is what they want to do. We've seen a couple leave who are on the fringes of the squad and that's by the by. They're replacing them now with guys who they think can fit the Leipzig model for moving on and challenging for next year's Bundesliga and getting to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... You bring up a big important point here that this um we both played this game, haven't we? It's like no, he's not for sale. No, this guy is not going there. No, no, Leipzig are not selling. No, Ralf Rangnick does mean no means no. You know, it's it's kind of like I like to compare it to Brexit almost. You know, it's like Merkel is just saying no because she wants to negotiate. No, Germans don't say no and then want to negotiate. No in German means no. And that's what Ralf Rangnick is saying to the likes of Liverpool, the likes of AC Milan, who don't really want to design Forsberg. No, we're not selling. That's not the club we are. We are a club that's building our, we have a strategy and players that are coming to him and saying that, well, I have this club interested in me. And he's just told, he just told Forsberg, he's like, well, that's great. This club is interested in you, but you also signed a contract until 2022. So, well, good luck with that. Um, and then players think, I guess, a lot of times is that they can just break contacts, but no, they can't. And that's not how it works. You know, it's not the reality of life. So I think Leipzig are very much looking to build and they brought in two young guys that are supposed to help them with that. And I'm pretty sure they're not done yet and they're definitely going to add. And I think that's very much the feeling that you get when you are in Leipzig. But then we talk about um, Leipzig um, maybe failing to get uh, Gnabry and uh, Phillips. Um, do, do you feel, Chris, that uh, it's still going to be a few years uh, and kind of establishing themselves before the likes of RB Leipzig could compete with the likes of Bayern, uh, Dortmund, and maybe the rest of Europe's elite, you know, for young players and for big signings? Yeah, we've seen them compete last season, haven't we, with their um, counterparts around them in the league. You know, they certainly competed at Dortmund um, for the, against Dortmund for the two games that I saw them play there. Um, and you know, we were all at um, Leipzig for the game against Bayern, which 
Uh, I still can't believe they lost that game even now. Uh, but it's can they make this step with extra competitions around them? So you would argue that the next few seasons they're going to look heavily at trying to uh, either win in the league or win in the cup or, or getting as far as they can in the Champions League. Everything, they have all the ingredients to be able to do that. Um, and you cannot argue with their recruitment and you can't argue in the direction they're travelling. Um, I think they they will get there. Um, next season's going to be a big season for them because they've got extra challenges. So if they are there or thereabouts come May, if they're second or third and they've done particularly well in the Champions League as in knockout stages and they've got considerably flour in the cup, either you know they're looking towards the final or they got through to the semi-final, I think that can be a successful season. They've flown through the tier systems of the German league, you know, promotion after promotion. They're at the very top now. They've got to establish themselves as a top three side, really. Um, I can't see them going out and winning the league next year uh, because I think the teams around them are strengthening at the same time they are. Um, And I think everybody will be a little wiser to the way that Leipzig play and will be not as surprised by their speed of attack. Which may work against them. I don't think that will be a problem for them in Europe. I think they'll take Europe by storm because um, people, although they'll watch videos and replays and they will tactically analyse the way they play, they won't have seen it for themselves um, firsthand. I think they'll take a lot of teams by surprise in Europe. Uh, I would say that for the next couple of seasons, they just have to cement themselves. And okay, so they haven't got um, Gnabry or they haven't got Phillips. You know, they've gone to their their main rivals, as in Bayern and Dortmund but they're still able to pick up talents um, and develop them. And if they can keep everybody again this time next year, I think they'll have a good chance of pushing on. But I wouldn't expect them to be as as strong. That's probably the wrong word. I wouldn't expect them to be as powerful as they were last season. And that's purely because I think everybody is now a little bit more aware of RB Leipzig and the danger that they face. Yeah, well, here's something that they can hold on to the young players that they've developed uh, over the last season or two. I mean, they've been an absolute delight to watch. Uh, yes, when we were over in Leipzig, they lost 5-4, but I must say that w- when they were um, playing to their full in that game, they were they were breathtaking, they were fantastic. And I, th- I think they're going to be a very strong addition to the Champions League this year. I think that will establish them a little bit more and they'll be able to pick up other players that maybe before they would have struggled uh, to convince players. Uh, to sign for and yeah I, th- I think everyone's in for a treat uh, across Europe I think there'll be a lot of people's uh, second sides in the uh, in the Champions League so um, yeah uh, it's going to be exciting times for the, the people of uh, Leipzig and the club uh, we're going to talk about uh, Frankfurt um, a little bit now uh, with Manu uh, they've brought in a a Mexican star and um, obviously they've got Marco Fabian there but uh, they've brought in a, another um, Mexican player and uh, I mean, well, what can you tell us about uh, Carlos uh, Salcido? I mean, we spoke about him a little bit on the uh, Golanza podcast, our, our Mexican podcast on the uh, Football Grads uh, Network. But, um, Manu, what, what can you uh, tell people about him? Yeah, I did an article on him on Fußballstadt.com. It's more in-depth there than probably have time to go into. But I, I really like the signing. And the reason I like the signing is because A, Mexicans are always a, a good investment 
you know, especially if they can play football like this kid can, because the U.S. market, right? Uh, the Bundesliga competes with the Premier League, uh, with the U.S. market, and of course with Liga MX, the strongest league in the U.S. market. And that means bringing in a player like that, especially a player with a Chivas background, will bring in a lot of interest for Eintracht Frankfurt. And Frankfurt are going to the United States to play a few friendlies there over the summer. So this will be an intelligent move by them. But this kid can also play. He's known as El Titan in Mexico. He's going to replace Vallejo, of course, and Vallejo back to Real Madrid where he is going to replace Pepe. So, you know, it speaks, speaks highly for Eintracht Frankfurt that they were able to take a kid like Vallejo, have him give him a good run in the Bundesliga, and he's now going to step in at the very highest level next season. And Freddy Bobic has been having a very, very good at identifying players like that. The sporting director, Freddy Bobic, bringing in players like Vallejo last year, of course, um, Mascarel, who I really like. He didn't sign Marco Fabian, that was done later on, but you know, he, they have been very good in developing players, bringing them to the next level. And Salcedo has this nice mix of cheekiness, a little bit of dirty play that you see so often in the CONCACAF, but very good technical abilities. And I think he's an excellent signing for them. Yeah, he had been on loan uh, from Chivas uh, to Fiorentina in Saria. Uh, and we mentioned on the Golazza pods uh, amongst uh, talking about crystal meth uh, and cartel and other things. Uh, we mentioned that um, probably for uh, Mexican players, it's probably a good transition, isn't it, going to uh, the likes of the Bundesliga or maybe the Dutch League as well, which are flowing attacking football uh, generally. And you know that this could be a, a very good move for not just for Frankfurt, but also for the player as well. And it always helps, you know, when a, a teammate, um, you know, it's is also from you know your native country, and you know it, it can help with that uh, transition, can it? Um, we're going to finish off with one last thing. I'm think, I, I think, um, well, I, I seen that it was uh, Oliver Kahn's birthday uh, this week. He turned uh, a massive uh, forty-eight. Um, I just thought it would be nice to um. To go around to each of you fellas, I know, Manu, you're an 1860 fan rather than a Bayern fan. Chris, you're more a Dortmund fan and Liverpool fan than you are a Bayern fan. But, I mean, everyone has uh, a memory that comes to mind when they say Oliver Kahn. And, uh, Manu, what memory, whether it's good or bad, comes to your mind about, um, well, this German legend, I suppose you would say. He's one of the, the greatest keepers of all time, possibly, right? <laughs> Interesting you say that. Um Oh, I'm not a Bayern fan, but I play keeper and Oliver Kahn, and this is secretly, I'm going to admit it now, he was actually my favorite player growing up. And the reason for that is because the will to win every game. And I think I've never seen that match by any keeper around this planet. He has the absolute dedication and the will to win at all costs and he did it more often than not i think up to this day when germany reached the 2002 final in brazil and in japan and korea against brazil i think that was the single biggest achievement by any player at a tournament he shouldered the team and he carried the team to the final and then, of course, the irony had it that he had to play the final with a broken hand. And 
let slip through that shot by Ronaldo that lost the tournament. But he was an absolute titan. And I think when you look at his dedication and his willpower and the, the way he saved it, we did a compilation on Bundesliga.com of some of his saves and some of it's just absolutely remarkable. And I think that is unmatched. And I mean literally unmatched um, by any keeper I've ever seen. And Chris, uh, what, what memories come to mind uh, for you, whether it's a good one or a bad one? Uh, 2001 UEFA Champions League final where he was man of the match um, can still remember watching it now I thought he was incredible um, I think he's a fantastic keeper one of, certainly one of the best and sometimes you often forget about him and then all of a sudden someone goes Oliver Kahn and you go oh my god yes what a good keeper he was um, it's been a while since we've seen him play but in his day he was unstoppable and I would not have liked to have been um, any defender in front of him because we'll be tied if you messed up You've got a full broadcast, didn't you? Um, so yeah, we'd also mention that it's Jurgen Klopp's birthday today as well. He's 50. Ah, there we go. Uh, maybe next week we'll talk about our fondest Jurgen Klopp memories. But um, yeah, I must say, Oliver Kahn, um, certainly if if you are a little bit younger, you don't know Oliver Kahn that well, uh, go and check out that, um, that Bundesliga.com video. Uh, I'm sure it's on the website somewhere, but I know it's definitely on their Twitter page. Uh, so I and Facebook. I'm Facebook, so, it, sorry. It's on Facebook, yeah. I'm Facebook. Um, I put so, it there, so that's why I know. <laughs> <laughs> Doing your job, eh? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some outrageous saves on there. So it's such a player and, yeah, a real animal. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure I remember a clip you guys might be able to remind me where he, uh, he, he basically bites the ball, doesn't he, when he catches it. I mean, he he was just worked up. He was fired up all the time. And we talk about... Um, goalkeepers being uh, made captain and you know a lot of people say that it's a bad choice uh, because you know they, they can't influence uh, the players uh, on the pitch you know, further up the field but um, I, I don't think that was the case for Oliver Kahn I think he uh, he made sure everyone knew that he was there and what they were doing but um, yeah I think we'll we'll end it there um, obviously Manu you're at the Confederations Cup is there anything you'd like to plug uh, going into this week or where can people find you on the likes of Twitter yeah, just make sure to follow Football Grad Life. It's all on there. Everything that we do. Right, Chris? It's going to be all there. Yeah, it's everything there. Um, yeah, people should know where to find me on Twitter now. If they don't, take it as a little quiz. <laughs> do your research, eh? Um, yeah, I've been your host, uh, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Um, I suppose the only thing I've got to plug really at the moment is uh, the Golats uh, Liga MX or Mexican uh, football podcast that uh, me and Manu have been doing. Um, yeah, check out this week's all about a drug and uh, cartel involvement with the clubs uh, amongst uh, other transfers like possible Fernando Torres uh, ending up there. So, uh, yeah, I'm checking that one out. But yes, um, until uh, next week, uh, where I'm sure we'll have plenty more transfer talk, um, I'm going to say... Auf Wiedersehen. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Kommen dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. 
one gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy. Right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.